My name is Jason Ponder. Uh, my wife, Shelly, and I have been attending Rockbridge now for about nine years. Uh, I've been leading a Rockbridge men's group for just uh, short of a year now. Since Shelly and I have been, you know, at Rockbridge and even before Rockbridge, uh, we've been doing couples, you know, the entire time. Uh, it was from teaching couples, right, and realizing that, you know, one of the bigger problems, I think, in our marriage today is uh, men's you know, myself included, our failure, you know, to lead our wives and our families according to God's word. The Lord just birthed in me a passion to, uh, you know, to, to go after the men, to take that couple's ministry and expand it into really a, a men's ministry or a men's small group. You know, on our couples group, we, we, we do, you know, we do the, the message based, but then in the men's group, we, we verse by verse through through books of, of the Bible. I just think it's very, very important, you know, to, to teach it to the letter, to read it to the letter and, and allow the Holy Spirit, you know, to, uh, to do its work. Yeah, I'd definitely say that this uh, this group of men's a family. One of the reasons why we meet at 6:30 on Saturday mornings and they all get up and they you know and they come that shows commitment to me on their part. One to the Lord first, right, and to their desire to 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 learn and to know more about Jesus. Um, but the fact that they'd want to come hang out with me at breakfast, you know, you know, is, is evidence of you know it is really a family of brothers, you know, uh, desiring to know Jesus more. So if you're considering uh, joining, you know, a small group, I, I think you should do it. You know, there's camaraderie that you will develop. There's that brotherhood. Um, but more than anything else, it's the opportunity, I think, to uh, uh, to be challenged, uh, to to grow uh, in your in your walk with Jesus and your your um, your love for Him. Hey, 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 Rockbridge, I hope everybody is doing well. My name is Matt. Just want to welcome you to our services, wherever you have gathered and however you have joined us as we're in part two of a series called Something Missing. Want to welcome you, whether you're here physically at one of our six locations or you're with us digitally, wherever you're tuning in, however you're watching. I actually bumped into one of our digital viewers today. And they told me, they said, you need to start wearing makeup. I was like, what is that supposed to mean? I didn't know how to receive that in the name of Jesus. But anyway, we're glad you're tuning in. Maybe if you're watching digitally, you can have a little poll right now. Should Matt wear makeup or not? All right, here we go. Here we go. So uh, we talked about uh, the fact last week that something could be missing from our life if we're not connected to community. And, and we launched a big season of trying to help ourselves get into circles face-to-face -face or over Zoom and experience community. And, and we said so many things that God wants to do in your life depend upon and flow through this notion of life together, this notion of being connected to community. And we're going to take that a little bit deeper and, and, and apply it a little bit in, in, a, in a different way today and talk about if you're not connected this way, let me catch what I'm saying. If you, you, it's one thing to be connected, but if you're not connected this way, which we're going to get to, something could be missing something could be missing. Now to tee this off, just want to get us thinking a little bit. How do most relationships get started? Okay, just, just think about that for just a second. Most relationships don't get started with just two people walking into each other and like, boom, let's hang out. Most relationships don't get started that way. Most relationships get started because there's something similar going on, right? Or there's proximity or your schedules coincide. Your kid's on this team. Their kid's on the same team. Your kid does this sport. Their kid does this, that sport. You move into that neighborhood. You bump into each other, you know, and, or, or you exchange 
exchange gifts or you exchange, hey, I, I, I can fix your car. Can you fix my, my, my leaky faucet or whatever reciprocity? It's convenient or it work, it's just comfortable being around this person. So most relationships get started just with something like that. It just sort of kind of overflows with, hey, we, we, we just shared the same carpool for a while because we lived in the same neighborhood. Our boys got put on the same team, you know, all those kind of things. But, but the challenge for us is this. A lot of times we don't move what's, we don't move past what starts the relationship and the relationship doesn't sustain so that when the schedules change, we drifted apart. We just didn't see each other as much. So that when it became inconvenient to connect or inconvenient to hang out, we stopped connecting. We stopped hanging out. Our small group just drifted apart because it was no longer convenient or we didn't live as close together or our schedules didn't match or whatever. So uh, what we have to think about today is what starts most of your relationships won't sustain it. And if you're married or you want to be married or you have been married, you would, you would echo this because what started your relationship is you had third period together or, you know, you worked on the same shift or you had the same days off or, you know, she moved in upstairs of the apartment complex. But if that's, that's not going to sustain your marriage, Right. Um, she looked good, I looked good, and that, well, that's not going to sustain your marriage. Wait till you get past, I'm 45, wait till you get past 50, right? And, uh, and you go from there. So that's not going to sustain. So what we're going to look at that is probably missing in some of our, many of our relationships, and, and this can even be missing in the church, it is something incredibly powerful that can sustain things, marriages, community, and it's deeper than connection, it's deeper than convenience, it's deeper than, hey, we, our kids and your kids do the same thing, it's deeper than, hey, we both attend the same church, it's, it's bigger than that. And, and to get there and to understand what this is that could be missing, we're going to go to one of my absolute favorite stories in the entire Bible, which is the story of Ruth. We're really just going to look at one chapter, the story of Ruth, Old Testament <clears throat> And we're going to jump in. And it's just a powerful story. I'm going to summarize just to keep us going. But here's the gist of it. There's a famine in Israel. And so this, this group, this family decides to move to a land called Moab to a land called Moab, generally enemies of Israel. They, they really weren't supposed to hang out, but they just got put together because there was food in the land of Moab, okay? And so it says this in Ruth 1.4 that Naomi, this is one of the ladies, her sons took Moabite, Moabite women as their wives. So now we have an interracial an interracial family in scripture, and we'll, we'll come back to that. And one of them was named Orpah, and the second one was named Ruth. And after they, they lived in Moab about 10 years, and what happens is Naomi's husband dies, Orpah's husband dies, and Ruth's husband dies. So now we have three widows, and they decide they're going to return to Israel because they hear the famine has ended. And the story is filled with uncertainty because life is just not good. They don't know what's going to happen. There are three women. There's no such, there's no such thing as Social Security. The, the Social Security is if you're a woman, you need to have a son or you need to have a husband. That's it. Widowed women in the ancient world were some of the most vulnerable people uh, that, that ever existed, right? Uh, just some of the most vulnerable. They could be easily taken advantage of, easily oppressed. There's no bill of rights. There's no government that's going to enforce that. And so this, this story is just filled, filled, filled with uncertainty. And then we're going to pick it up and we're going to start talking and zero in on this lady, Naomi, and then by extension, her two daughters-in-laws, all three of whom are widows. 
So Naomi says to her daughters-in-law, she says, hey, each of you go back to your mother's home. They're, these two women are, Moabite, are Moabites. Naomi is a Jew. She says, hey, go back and may the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to the dead, my two sons, and to me as your mother-in-law. So she says, hey, look, you need to go back to your homeland. You need to go back to your homeland and find husbands. You need to go back to your homeland and be with your biological family. You, you just need to do that because it, life is not good. Life is too uncertain. We don't know how all this is going to turn out. And she says, may the Lord grant each of you rest in the house of a new husband. She kissed them and they wept loudly. Now, we get introduced to a, to a really powerful Hebrew word, and I don't normally like to speak Hebrew because I don't know Hebrew, but this word is called hesed, hesed, right, or kased, right? It's faithful, deeply committed love. It's not love of convenience. It's not love of, hey, you know, we're, we're connected as long as we sit next to each other. It's, it's not we're connected as long as we like the same things or have the same schedule. It's way deeper than that. And then what we see Naomi do is she recognizes this chesed in the, her two daughters-in-law, but she does something that you and I are prone to do when it comes to love or when it comes to relationships. She just sort of sets a limit on it. She said, hey, y'all have been faithful enough. You've been you know, con connected to me enough. It's time for us to go our separate ways. And as I was thinking about that, I was like, you know, all of us, there's a certain condition that when a relationship meets that condition or crosses a line, the relationship short, you just sort of, that's when you just start growing apart, right? There's just some, there's something for you. It could be convenience for others of you. It could be, you know, our, our, the schedule thing is so important, but at some point you just, you just have a limit of, we're just not going to go any further. And, and it's the same thing. What starts a relationship can't sustain a relationship. So when the similarities go away or the proximity goes away, or, Hey, I, I can't do anything for you, or you can't do anything thing for me anymore, so we just drift apart, all of that, then we just have a limit on how far we go with relationships. And I just want us to think for just a second. Most of us are like that in many of our relationships. Certainly we can be like that in the relationship with the church, especially in the 21st century, especially as we move into post-Christendom, and, and people are just sort of loosely connected, if connected at all, to, to the people of God. And so we, we see that in the story. We see these limitations. And, and then this, this something starts to develop in the story that's real powerful. So they said to her, no, 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 no. We insist on returning with you to your people. But Naomi replied, return home, my daughters. Why do you want to go with me? Am I able to have any more sons who could become your husbands? I'm past that age, so I can't give you another potential husband. Return home, my daughter, says it again. Go on, for I am too old to have another husband. And even if I thought there was still hope for me to have a husband tonight and to bear sons, would you be willing to wait for them to grow up? Would you restrain yourselves from remarrying? No, my daughters. My life is too bitter for you to share because the Lord's hand has turned against me. So, so what is Naomi saying? She's saying, hey, I, I don't have anything to give you. 
I can't take care of you. There's really no utilitarian reason for us to stay connected. There's, really, there's nothing more I can do for you. You're vulnerable. I'm vulnerable. You go back to the best place that it could be for you to reestablish some sense of stability and some sense of security. Now, I just want us to zoom out for just a second and think about how this kind of could look in our culture in the 21st century. And the word that comes to mind is that so often, and this can be subtle or it can be outright and it can be just very overt. So often we look at relationships like a contract, right? Like a contract. And as long as you and I meet each other's expectations, as long as I give to you and you give back to me, quid, pro, quo, you scratch my back, I scratch your back, then the relationship is good. But when you can no longer give to me or you can no longer meet my expectations, then it's sort of time for us to move on. And, and we're all, at the, in this culture, we're all encouraged to be savvy consumers and we enter into these contracts to get our smartphones or get our cell phones, right? And, and, and it's like that. You know, you view relationships like you view AT&T and Verizon. And as, as long as my data plan works and what I paid for, you know, boom. If I can't pay, they shut it off. If they can't provide, I don't pay. And, and so we just sort of look at relationships kind of contractually. And so Naomi says, hey, look, I don't have anything left to give you. So y'all go on. And, and, and here's what I want to just ask us, okay? We've all done that. We've all said, you know what? Uh, I, I'm ready to move on. I need to move on. And we've all put these limits on relationships. And I just want us to ask the question, is there a different way, a better way? Could something be, with, be missing if we're not willing to go beyond this contractual status in our relationships? And, and just hold that thought for just a second. Just hold that thought. And, and, and then we're going to see something better and different but it could be something that's missing from your story, my story, our story. So again, they wept loudly. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law as if to leave, but Ruth clung to her. And Orpah leaves and, and moves on, but Naomi says to Ruth, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Remember, this is an interracial kind of marriage or kind of arrangement here. Follow your sister-in-law. Go home. I have nothing left to give you. But Ruth replied, don't plead with me to abandon you or to return and not follow you. And then she, here's what she says. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. And your people will be my people and your God. Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God of Israel, will be my God. I'm a Mobitus, but I am now by faith going to become a Jew. Then she goes on. She says, listen, where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. And may the Lord punish me and do so severely if anything but death separates you and me. And then when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped trying to persuade her. So I, here's what I think we all need in our lives. 
We all need it in our church relationship dynamic, whatever that looks like. And if this is missing, something's missing. We all need to have in some circle radical commitment to one another that goes beyond convenience, culture, and the initial cause for the relationship. Remember, we got to get past the initial cause. Oh, we shared the same schedule. The initial cause, oh, your son was married to my daughter. The initial cause, oh, you know, we lived next to each other. Oh, we were, you know, we went to the same church and we both went to the early service for a while. We've got to get beyond those kinds of things that link us together to a radical commitment where we would say, hey, where you go, I go. And, and however I can help you, I am willing to help you. And I'm not going to just go with you one mile. I'll go with you two miles. And, and, and this gets us past contract. Contract is you keep your end, I'll keep my end. Covenant now is the new word. Covenant is I'm with you no matter what you do. I'm with you no matter where you go. I'm your fan. I'm your supporter. I, I'm, I'm in this thing called life. I'm in this spiritual journey with you. That's what Ruth does. You know, you know, covenant, though, is such a powerful word, right? And when you read Ruth's commitment, and I even heard some of you in the room, I, when you read Ruth's commitment, you're kind of like, oh, it, it, it kind of moves you. Ladies, it's like a Hallmark movie, right? You're like, oh, right? It just kind of moves you. Guys are like, okay, yeah, it kind of moves me too. But it does, right? I mean, that, you're like, wow, because something in your heart just kind of comes alive. Like, man, I, I would want that type of relationship. I mean, th think about this. Everybody's been to a, a wedding, right? Everybody's been to a wedding. And, and we stand here, and, and, and I notice this when I do weddings. One, there's, there's two parts of the ceremony where everybody kind of, one, when she walks down the aisle, and the second one is when we say as, as ministers, hey, bridegroom, face each other. And what are the vows? For better, for worse, richer, for poorer, till death does its part. Those are covenant vows. And, and people lean in. Now, can you imagine is this, hey, I'm with you, baby, as long as dinner's on the table at 6 p.m. <laughs> well, I'm with you as long as you bring enough bread home so that every now and then I can go out and have a nice dinner. Well, I'm with you, honey, as long as you'd make the bed and, and you know, get to take care of this and take care of that. Okay, well, I, I'm with you. And, and you, would we, need, we would be sort of like, that one ain't gonna last. <laughs> right? And yet most of us, deep down, we probably lean more contract than covenant. But we need to have some relationships that look more like Ruth and Naomi than a contract with AT&T or Verizon. Now, here's the question I'm wrestling with. You know, I think there's tensions in the Bible. And, and I love to find them because when I find them, I'm like, okay, God, there's a reason you put that in there. And here's my question. Why does Ruth do this? She's not a Jew. They're interracial, right? I mean, she's released. Her husband's dead. Naomi's husband's dead. Orpah goes ahead and leaves. And Orpah doesn't do anything wrong. The Bible's just showing us something greater and deeper and better. So, so why does Ruth do this? 
Because it gets even more interesting, okay? Naomi literally has nothing to give Ruth. As a matter of fact, Naomi's not even fun to be around. Look at, this, look at this part. The two of them traveled until they came to Bethlehem. And when they entered Bethlehem, the whole town was excited about their arrival. And the local women was like, oh, Naomi's back. Naomi's back. Homecoming. And they're like, can this be Naomi? And she, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. That, that's Hebrew for bitter old woman, right? Bitter. For the Almighty has made me very bitter. Raise your hand. Does anybody want to hang out with a bitter person? You know, I want to sit next to them at a football game. No. You're like, hey, I mean, you see a bitter person in the aisle at the grocery store, you skip that aisle and go to the next one. Even if they've got an error going, you'll go the wrong way, right? Why would you? Because who wants to be with a bitter? And, and Ruth's like, wherever you go, I go. Your people, my people, your God, my God, where you buried, where you're da- da- buried, I'm gonna, that's where I'm going to be. And I'm like, why would Ruth do this? And I look at our culture today and look at where we draw the lines. For some people, we draw the line at, well, they don't have my skin color. For some people, it's like, well, man, they don't have my education. Some people, I mean, they hurt me. I mean, we just all draw these lines and not going any, more, not going any further. Ah, it's just no longer convenient. Ah, you you used to be cool. (laughs) And we just draw those lines. And and the story of Ruth is like, where's the chesed? Where's that Ruthian commitment? So why does Ruth do it? And, And the answer is this. Because she has become a follower of God. And she knows that it's only by the grace of God that she was matched up with the covenant people of God, the Jews. And it's her faith in God that enables her to make a grace-based, grace means I'm going to treat you better than you deserve. I'm going to treat you the way God has treated me. Let me say that again. I'm going to treat you the way God has treated me. I'm going to treat you the way God has treated me. And, and, and we would say, you know what? Ruth doesn't have to do this. God didn't have to put his son on the cross, but he did. And then he says, now love each other as I have loved you. And Jesus, where did Jesus stop in his love? On a cross. Where does Ruth say she'll stop? When I die. And we've got to have a few of those relationships or something will be missing. Now, see, look, you can take out faith there. And a a lot of us, our relationships are, are not based on commitment. They're based on convenience. They're based on contract. But it's the covenant God makes with us that is grace-based that enables us to love people, listen, even when they're sort of hard to love. Because Naomi right now, she's telling them, I don't have anything to give you. I'm empty. I'm bitter. I'm frustrated. I'm cynical. The best is not yet to come. The best is way, 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 way back in the rearview mirror. You don't even want to hang with me. 
And Ruth's like, no, I have to hang with you. Don't tell me to leave you again. I'm not going anywhere. Now, let's zero in again on Naomi because she doesn't understand what she's got. And, and she keeps to these women that meet her. She comes back into Bethlehem like, oh, Naomi, I'm not Naomi, I'm bitter. And she just tells her, she tells them a little bit more about herself. She goes, hey, I went away full, but God has brought me back empty. Why do you call, my, call me Naomi since the Lord has opposed me and the Almighty has afflicted me? And, and now we have the privilege of... Ruth is looking at her situation just like this, with blinders on. She's only seeing bitter. She's only seeing pain. She's only seeing frustration. And we all know bitterness, pain, frustration can blind us to the big picture. So we're like, we're like, we're like so I'm like, no, 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 no. Naomi, you're not empty. Because look what happens in the next verse. So Naomi came back from the territory of Moab with the daughter-in-law Ruth the Moabitess. Naomi, you think you're empty, but no, 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 no. Someone's with you who refuses to leave you because of Hesed. Because of Hesed. Now, Naomi can't see it. Naomi doesn't think God's with her. Naomi thinks God's actually against her. But God has put this incredible woman of faith and grace, and I will not leave you till I physically die right beside Naomi. And says, I'm not leaving. And, and then you can read the rest of the story because I love the Bible. And if you want a tearjerker, you want drama, you want romance, you want to see a man's man, you just read Ruth 2, 3. And let, but I'm going to take you to chapter 4 as it ends. And by this time, Ruth has met a husband and they have a child. And so Naomi now has a grandson. And the women that, that, that she said, hey, I'm empty, these same women come back and have a conversation with Ruth. And look what they say. It's the last part of, of, of the whole book. They say, the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord, the one that you were mad at, frustrated at, blessed be the Lord, who has not left you without a family redeemer today or kinsman redeemer today. May his name become well known in Israel. That's her grandson. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. Indeed, your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. My, what God has done through the commitment, the covenant that Ruth made to her formerly bitter, empty mother-in-law. And I, and I look at this story and I think about the world that we live in, okay? And I think about how many people are just so stressed, so frustrated, so on edge because of 2020. <laughs> and, and, and people, just everything is uncertain. I mean, do you trust what this guy said or that guy said and what's going to happen tomorrow and this, that? I mean, it's just so uncertain and people are on edge, I mean, some of us, we, some of us, our language is like Naomi's language in Ruth chapter one. And, and, and I start I just press into this story because here's the beautiful thing, okay? There's no miracles in the story other than the miracle of a Moabite woman making a chesed covenant commitment to a bitter, empty, cynical Jewish lady. Go through the book of Ruth. There's not a single prayer prayed in this book. So how does God move? 
through Ruth. Through Ruth. And, and I just want to say this to everybody listening digitally, online, in person, okay? You do not have to be controlled or dominated by uncertainty because God will use the certainty of covenant-type relationships to help you navigate through life and receive blessings beyond what you can even see, know, or fathom as you and I sit here right here today. Some of you are at Ruth chapter 1. Some of you are like, the person I'm most identifying that story with is Naomi. Some of you are like, I got to be a Ruth. And and I just want to be honest, okay? Truth be told, in this broken, crazy, crazy world we live in, sometimes you're going to be a Ruth. Sometimes you're going to be a Naomi. And God will provide. One day, you're Ruth. The next day, you're Naomi. But it is the people of God giving the chesed commitment of God to one another that makes this whole thing called church the greatest relational group of people on the planet. You know what I, you know what I mean? Because, because look, look, look. We say it at Rockbridge, all walks of life. The only people, what are we going to do about race? Give people chesed love. What are we going to do about this tribe over here and that group over here? The only hope for that is that we would come together in Christ who loved us most and loved us best and then love each other the way he's loved us and go the distance with each other and be marked by those kind of relationships. Because we talked about it, right? Something in your heart goes, when you read Ruth chapter 1 when Ruth says she's not going anywhere. Something in your heart goes, at weddings when those vows are exchanged. Because your heart wants that because God created you for that. God gives you that vertically through his son. God also gives you that horizontally through his church. So let me give you a couple handlebars. Let's think about this for just a minute, okay? The first is this. I I want us to get a vision for Ruth-like relationships. A vision for Ruth-like relationships. Now, listen, we don't get this from the media. We don't get this from culture. We don't get this from our flesh. When you follow your heart, sometimes your, your heart is going to lead you to convenience. Your heart is going to lead you to what is most comfortable in the moment. Your heart will lie to you Your heart because your heart is not meant to be followed. Your heart is meant to be led. And when Jesus leads your heart, he will lead your heart to make Ruth-like commitments and relationships. So I'm going to ask ask us as a church today, let's do more than just get connected because we have the same schedule. Let's do more than just get connected because we bumped into each other, saw each other, sat next to each other. Let's get committed to each other. Let's get committed to each other. That's how God's blessings flow. That's how we navigate uncertainty because you know what? The world around me can be uncertain, but I've got a few people with me whose commitment to me is certain, sure, solid, like Ruth to Naomi. Uh, so let me talk about small groups, okay? And, and this is great season. Go to robberies.cc groups, find my group. And we're talking about, we're talking about. So what we want for every small group 
is that you don't make convenience-based connections with each other. Yeah, you may start as a small group because all of you could get together on Tuesday night or this subject interests you, so you got on a Zoom call with each other. You can start that way. Don't stay that way. Get to said with each other. Because some days you're going to be Naomi, some days you're going to be Ruth. And if you're Naomi, you need a Ruth. And if you're Ruth, God has a Naomi for you to bless. So, so we're just saying, hey, let's push into this, church. Let's push into this. We've got all these Zoom groups where we're going to be, all the all people from Calhoun can be connected to Cleveland and Ringo connected to Chatsworth. It doesn't matter. So just start. Hey, let's just, let, what's going to draw you together is, hey, we need to get some clarity of finances. We want to strengthen our marriage. You know, we're interested in race and, and what does the Bible say and how do we navigate this racial stuff? Or we just want to, you know, a basic Bible study. It doesn't matter. Jump into that if that, if that fits you. We cast a vision for this. We, we're seeing people jump at it. It's so beautiful. I'm here talking to campus pastors, our discipleship team. Like, yeah, people are grabbing these D groups. D group, what's a D group? It's just a group of two, three, or four people, generally guys with together and ladies together, and we're just going to meet, and we're going to talk and encourage each other and hold each other accountable and help each other, and we're going to make Ruth-like commitments to one another. And then we've even said, you know what? There's some people, and maybe they're not ready for large gatherings yet. They're not ready for your large gathering. So we said, hey, let's do Rockbridge at home. We'll resource you to, to have a little church service in your house or in your neighborhood or in your driveway or in your back porch. I heard two stories today about two communities in northwest Georgia. I'm going to say their names, Trenton, Georgia and Rome, Georgia, where we got some people maybe driving in or tuning in digitally. We, we can set you up. And we can start. And we, that's the groundwork maybe for a future Rockbridge campus. I don't know. But I do know we all need said. And that God's blessings flow through it. So, so let me share. Let's be real practical. We need people in this church to be willing to kind of have these three things marking our relationships. Now, it's not going to be with everybody, but it's got to be with somebody. Circles, circles, not just rows. We need some people where we have refrigeratorites with one another. You know, if I walk into your house and open your refrigerator and just grab something, you're like, what is he doing? But if we have said and we have commitment, you're like, hey, help yourself. We need people that, whether it's pajama permission. You ever have somebody come over, well, I'm just in my PJs, you know, like, no, come on over. I don't care what you look like. I love you, you know, pajama permission. And then we need foxhole friends because it's a war out there, isn't it? Foxhole friends are the ones you want beside you when the enemy's shooting at you. And, and, and what if in this church, all of us said, you know what? I want to give to at least three, four, five, six people, at least eight couples, whatever, you know, just, I want to be a Ruth. And, and, and then some of us are like, hey, I, 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 I'm a Naomi, I need a Ruth. I need people who are willing to give me refrigerator rights, pajama permission, and, and be a foxhole friend. Now, how, how do we get there? So, so I want to, a little bit, I, I think we all got to look in the mirror first. Because it's so easy to say, you know, you first. You first. Why haven't you? Let's start with, let's start with us, okay? Let's start with the, the man, the woman in the mirror first, okay? And, and just look at this on a spectrum and, and just ask yourself, man, in, in my normal relationships, do I lean more convenience or more commitment? Do I lean more convenience or commitment? And then uh, let's just say, hey, I, I want to move my heart in this direction. So then you got to look at the cross, because the cross is not convenient. Jesus' love was not convenient. 
But when his love grabs us, it also comes out of us. And that's what we want to give to one another. And the beautiful thing about Ruth's story is the cross is in view in this story. I don't know if you know that. I mean, we're, we're, it's, it's so powerful. This is what's at stake in these kind of relationships. Look at how the story ends. A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. We've, we've said that. He was the father of Jesse, who's the father of David. And every Jewish person is like, <gasps> David. And then we go to the New Testament and we look at Jesus' family tree. And it says, Jesus Christ, the son of David. Ruth, interracial. Jesus' family tree is interracial. Who has the answer to the racial problem? Who has the answer to, I need somebody to walk with the church? The church. Right? The gospel's right here. It came through a chesed commitment of Ruth so Jesus could give a chesed commitment to all nations. Right? So, but here's the beautiful thing about the story. The one, Ruth is the one who gave said. She also found it. Read two and three. Read two and three. Look at Boaz. Look at what Boaz gives to her. But, but there's some of us, we need to learn from Naomi. Because Naomi gave transparency. And Naomi was willing to let Ruth help her. That's important factors too. Because I, I know there's people in this. I've been a Naomi before. And my pride doesn't want to be transparent and doesn't want to say, I really need your help. And I've, I've been in this church long enough, and I've talked with people who don't have money to pay their bill, and they won't let the church help them. And they're frustrated at God. I'm like, the church represents God. The church is full of God's people. And they won't. I, I, I've seen that. I, I've gone to small groups, and, hey, how can we pray for you? Unspoken. Come on. The one thing you got to give Naomi is she was real. She's like, I don't feel it. I'm empty. I'm mad. I'm frustrated. I'm bitter. You need people you can do that with. But then you need to be willing to receive their prayers, receive their love, receive however it is they can help you. We do First Wednesday. Listen to me. And, and First Wednesday, our elders are available and our prayer teams under, uh, are acting with our elders to pray for anybody. We're in six locations. We ought to have the altar filled with people saying, hey, you know what? I need prayer for my marriage. I need prayer for my finances. I, I, I got a decision facing this, this. I got a prodigal kid I just got diagnosed with and who are willing to have the prayers of their church family poured out on them. But in our American individualistic insecurity or pride, we're like, I'm fine. And you know you're not. God knows you're not. And then you're mad at God and God's like, what's the church for? I've got some Ruths in my church down there at Rockbridge who are ready to bless you, help you, and serve you. And so I just want to invite all of us right now. Let's rethink church. Because if, if all we're going to do is, hey, church is just a place I go for about an hour a week, then we're just playing games. We really are, okay? I'm just being real with you. It, you know, it's just, we're playing games. We got to get to Hesed. 
we got to love some people like Jesus Christ has loved us. I need that love. You need that love. And that love is in the community of people that Jesus Christ created when he died and rose so we could be called his sons and daughters. May the Spirit of God direct us to be more faithful as the people of God. Let me pray. God, I love you because you first loved me. And Lord, I confess my sin right now because I so easily settle for relationships based on convenience. And Lord, I see how your relationship with me is a covenant paid for in your blood. And Lord, I just pray that more and more of our relationships in our small groups, in our D groups, in our serving teams is marked, God, by something beyond convenience, that it looks more like Ruth and Naomi than the contract we have with our cell phone provider. Lord, I pray for all the Naomi's here. God, I pray they would not sit in silence, but they would receive from the people of God. God, I pray for all the people who know this is their time to be a Ruth. And they've got to get out of their seat, maybe adjust their schedule a little bit, and give their heart the heart that's full of the love of Christ. God, may this truly be a day, may this truly be a weekend where we become a different church, a more faithful church. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.